title of the uh, handout is Alcohol and the Drunkard. And a quote by Charles Spurgeon, Drunkenness is the devil's back door to hell and everything that is hellish. For he that once gives away his brains to drink is ready to be caught by Satan for anything. And the passage today is Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 through 35. Proverbs 23, 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself upright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Thank you, Jacob, for leading the music again today. And thank you, everyone who's here. That was beautiful, beautiful singing that we had this morning. This is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, we will be honoring Christ and his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus 2,000 years ago to live a perfect life and to go to the cross and to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, you are the payment, the propitiation for the wrath that is due us because we are all sinners. Lord, we need you as our Savior. And Jesus, thank you for being obedient. Thank you for doing your Father's will, for enduring the suffering and the crucifixion, all of that passion. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here today with us. Please guide my tongue, protect me from saying anything that would be taking away from your glory and your honor of your word. Forgive the sin in my life that your word is not hindered in the spirit world. And also, Father, bless all of your children that are here listening to your word. We love you, God. You're an awesome God. Amen. Welcome, everyone. Today, it's a little bit cold outside. I don't think the weather can decide what it wants to do. If it wants to be 65 and 70 and beautiful, or maybe 30 and 35 degrees with a little bit of snow. But our pastor mentioned he flew in last evening from out of town. He came in from Italy. He was driving through Danville this morning, and there were six inches at like three in the morning when he was driving. So there was a little bit of snow on his highway coming back into Lynchburg. But today, it's beautiful. The, the roads are clear, and it's the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Today, we're going to look at this topic of alcohol and the drunkard. And perhaps you're wondering, why would we be looking at this topic, given the season of the year? And also, most of us in this room, we don't have any issues with alcohol, and we don't even look at it. The question might be, why are we studying the topic? As I mentioned to you four or five weeks ago, I will be going to Nepal on a missions trip on April 11th. They have assigned me five topics, five major themes from the book of Proverbs, alcohol, 
and its devilishness in the lives of the addicted is very strong. So we're going to look at that, and hopefully we'll be blessed. And then next week, we will focus in upon Easter and God's resurrection, proving that he has the power over sin and death. In today's handout, we will see three different points that we're going to look at today concerning the abuse of alcohol. The first point is alcohol causes misery and ruin in lives. The second point is that alcohol promises pleasure, but provides a deadly sting. And the third point today is alcohol is addictive and destroys both the body and the soul. So at the top of page two, here's another quote. That was a wonderful quote that Jacob had read from Charles Spurgeon about the abuse of alcohol. And here is another really strong quote. If we were to define and try to explain the evils of being drunk and the drunken lifestyle, it might be difficult to explain, for example, to a 10-year-old. They couldn't grasp the concept. But if that same 10-year-old saw a person stumbling down the street and then fall over in a drunken stupor, they would quickly understand the evil of alcohol. And here's a quote from George Saville. The sight of a drunkard is a better sermon against that vice than the best that was ever preached on that subject. And it goes to that old adage, a picture is worth a thousand words. So the first point, alcohol causes misery and ruin. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness? Of eyes. This verse is describing the physical qualities and the mental anguish that come to people who abuse alcohol. Who has woe? Woe is something that comes into your life that is very bad. There are many people that have the consequences of alcohol in their life. My mom, she's now 87 years old. And she relates the story that when she was a child, they would wait for other children to come and then they would walk to school in the morning. And her brother, her baby brother, it was his first day of school for first grade. Being the baby in the family, my grandma really loved my uncle. And on the, the day before his first day of school, my grandma cut his hair because she had never cut his hair. He had beautiful blonde long hair. And of course a boy going to school, he needs to have a haircut. Well, when my mom and my brother were standing on the side of the road, there was a man in a car, an automobile driving down the road and he was drunk. And he crossed the line and he killed my uncle. That is the consequences of alcohol. Now back then, this is back in the 30s, that man never suffered any consequences. He never went to jail or anything like that. But that impacted my mom's family 
all of these years. And my mom still remembers that. This is 80 years later. She remembers it vividly like it was yesterday. My mom relates the story that my grandma went back and took all of that hair that she cut off of her child. And she put it into a plastic bag as a remembrance until she died. She loved her son and her son was taken away from her when he was six years old because of alcoholism. That is a woe. Now this man had to live with that the rest of his life. Who has sorrow? The people who deal with the consequences of alcohol, they have sorrow in their life. Who has babbling? Many times people who drink alcohol, they lose their mind. Or they just start talking in loud voices. And many times they get into fights. The next one says, who has contentions? A contention is when you have discourse and anger between two people. When you're drinking alcohol, it's very easy to get into fights and contentions. And who has wounds without cause? How many times does a drunk fall down and he hits his head or he bumps himself? And doctors in emergency rooms, they can tell from the wound and the scars of wounds that are on bodies, people that are alcoholics because they have wounds without cause. And who has redness of eyes? How many times have you listened to somebody complain about a hangover the next day after they had party and their body is just tired and their eyes are red and they've got this pounding headache? Those are the consequences of the sin. Proverbs 20 verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Jesus was mocked when he did some of his miracles. Jesus was mocked on the cross. Nobody wants to be mocked. None of us in this room, why would we want somebody to mock us? Because that's a form of very high disrespect. Wine is a mocker. People that drink strong drink, which is alcohol, other than like wine and beer that has a strong alcoholic content, that is a mocker. And it says, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. See, alcohol is deceptive. It sells a lie. And now in America, we say that it is a disease. But isn't it a little bit strange that the alcohol industry spends hundreds of millions of dollars advertising a disease? That doesn't make any sense. Alcoholism is not a disease. It's a sin. Proverbs 23, verse 20. Be not among wine bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. So here the Bible is giving us a command. We should not hang out with people that drink a lot of alcohol because they also become riotous in their nature. Riotous means they're out of order. Now we also have to understand that grapes are a blessing from God. The things that alcohol is derived from, the grains, hops and barley, these are blessings from God. And they can be used for good things. Today we have many medicines that address the issues of aging. And the Bible did have some good uses for alcohol in the Bible times 2,000 years ago. 
So it could be for medicinal purposes. Also, alcohol, if it's in a weak amount, has the ability to kill germs. Now we can drink water from a faucet in your kitchen, for example, or at a water fountain at a library or an airport. The water generally in the U.S. is clean from a water fountain. But if we travel to other countries, for example, when I go to Nepal, I would not drink water out of a public water fountain. I would probably get sick. So alcohol in a small amount had the ability to kill germs and also to preserve things. But we're talking about here strong alcohol or becoming addicted to that quality of getting high on alcohol. And the Bible speaks against that many, many times. Proverbs 23, verse 21. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. People that are drunkards or gluttonous in their life, what this verse is teaching us is that they have the qualities that they are not industrious. They are not the kind of people that are achievers. And it says drowsiness comes to these people. Remember last week we learned about the sluggard and how God hates laziness. People that drink alcohol, their focus in life is their alcohol. Their focus in life is not serving God and being productive. This verse teaches us that they will come to poverty and this drowsiness will clothe them in rags. They will become in poverty. Their lifestyle will reflect it. Joel 1.5. This is a verse that is speaking to the nation of Israel. And they were being judged by God because they were worshiping false idols. Joel is pointing out to these people who are living the high lifestyle. And they were also getting drunk. He says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and howl, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine. It is cut off from your mouth. The new wine are the grapes that you're going to harvest. So, for example, juice of a grape, grape juice, is considered wine. So in the Bible, wine has three different meanings. So grape juice also means wine. And here he's saying, Joel is warning the people of Israel, when your nation is conquered, they're going to destroy your vineyards and your new wine will be cut off from your mouth. You will face the consequences of disobeying God. Now, many people in life, they come up with reasons to use alcohol. And they might say, well, we're no longer under the law. I can drink in moderation. There's always this idea that goes through my mind when they say, well, I never drink to the point of being drunk. Even if you drink one teaspoon of alcohol, you're a little bit drunk. If you drink a pint of beer, you're more drunk. And if you drink a half a bottle of vodka, you're very drunk. Now, here's the question. How many of us in this room, let's say we had to go under a surgeon's knife this week. A very delicate operation. Let's say it was going to be a back surgery or maybe repairing a vessel in our brain. 
And right before the doctor was going to do surgery, he says, well, just give me one little shot of alcohol. We wouldn't want him to even have one teaspoon of alcohol because maybe his hand would shake just a little bit. And see, on a spectrum, alcohol starts out as a little bit, but it grows into a raging storm. And 1 Corinthians 6.12 addresses Christians that like to come up with reasons why they can drink. All things are lawful unto me. That's true. See, Peter, God showed him the vision of the blanket with all the animals, and there were no longer any unclean animals. So Peter could eat of all the animals. This verse says, all things are lawful unto me. But look at what Paul says. But all things are not expedient. But all things are not for our benefit. He goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Many people in America, right here in Lynchburg, are under the power of alcohol. If you did a survey of the men in jail, and they have done this in the past, most of the men that are in jail committed the crime when they were under the influence of alcohol or drugs. So that is one of the consequences of drinking. They are under the power of alcohol. Paul is saying, don't be under the power of anything that's evil. Proverbs 23, 30. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Solomon, writing this proverb, is building up the background of why we should not go there. Let's look at a few examples in the Bible about situations where alcohol was used and the consequences. And these are just a few of the examples. There's many, many, many examples to share. Genesis 9, verse 20 and 21. This is talking about Noah. This is after the flood. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. So Noah became drunk, he uncovered himself, and as we know from that story, one of his sons saw his nakedness and disrespected his father, and God judged that sin. How about Genesis 19? This is 10 chapters later in the book. Verse 32. This is talking about Lot, and God had just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities that surrounded them because of the sin of homosexuality. And Lot apparently was a drinker of alcohol. Now the city is destroyed. Remember his wife had turned back and she was judged of God. She turned into a pillar of salt. And now Lot and his two daughters are in a cave. And the two daughters talk to each other. And here's what they say. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Lot would not have drunk that wine or that alcohol if he had never had drank in the past. But this was something that he was used to. So when they offered him the alcohol, he accepted it. And then, of course, this story indicates the ending was incest, 
And those children, the Moabites, for example, they became the enemies of the nation of Israel. 1 Samuel 25, verse 36 and 37. This is talking about Nabal. Nabal was a rich landowner. His wife's name was Abigail. David was protecting the large farms, the large fields at that time, from people who would come in and steal the food or do damage to the crops. David had a group of men, a very small army, who helped protect. And David had gathered his men, and they were going to approach Nabal and say, because we helped you have a prosperous and plenteous harvest, you need to help feed my men, which is reasonable. Now Nabal said, no, I'm not going to do that. It's my field, my harvest, and you are not going to receive any. David became angry. And he took his men, and he was going to attack Nabal. Now Nabal wasn't aware of this, but Abigail was very smart, very intuitive. So she went out to meet David and his men, and had many provisions of food. And she fed David's men. And David, because of her wisdom, backed off and did not attack Nabal. Now let's listen to what Nabal was doing while his wife was appeasing the anger of David. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning, when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. Nabal realized he almost died the night before, while he was drunk, very drunk, as the Bible says. And he actually had a stroke. And the Bible says in the next verse, nine or ten days later, he passed, he died. And then later, Abigail marries King David and becomes his wife. So there's another example of a man unwise under the influence of alcohol. Let's go to 2 Samuel 13, verse 28. This is Absalom. He's one of David's sons. He committed insurrection and civil war against David. But while he was still living in the king's court, he was very angry at his half-brother. And he had a conspiracy to kill his half-brother. And he told his guards, when my half-brother is drunk, then you kill him. You see, when we drink alcohol, our wits about us, our guard, our understanding of the situation is very much lessened. That's why people that drink and drive have accidents because their control over their physical body is greatly diminished. Reading this verse, now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, Mark you now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. They knew if they killed the prince, David's son, Amnon, they would get in trouble with the king. But here, 
Another one of David's sons is saying, kill him. And on his command, when Amnon was drunk and could not protect himself, they indeed did kill him. Let's look at another example in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 9 and 10. Here we have the servant of the king of Israel, and his name was Elah, E-L-A-H, Elah. And he was the king, and Zimri has a conspiracy to kill him. And again, he waits until he's drunk, when his guard is down. And his servant Zimri, captain of half his chariots, conspired against him, as he was in Tizra, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house. And Zimra went in and smote him and killed him in the twentieth and seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his stead. So do you see he was in his house drinking himself drunk? Let's look at another example. This is from the book of Daniel. We all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Nebuchadnezzar had come in, had conquered Jerusalem, had taken these slaves back to Babylon, and of those men, of that group of slaves, was Daniel. Now Daniel was blessed mightily of God, and he could discern dreams. It's 70 years later, Nebuchadnezzar has died, his son has died, and now this is his grandson, a very wicked man named Belshazzar. And he's having this huge feast. There's 1,000 of the lords, all the powerful people, all the military that are at this huge party, and they're all getting drunk. This is the night that Belshazzar is going to die. Their enemy has stopped up the river. The only way into this city, it was a walled city. The walls were 100 feet and in some places 70 feet wide. You could ride chariots on top of it. It was impenetrable from an army outside attacking it. But it had one weakness. The river flowing into the city, once you dried up the river, it allowed a passage of an army. And while Belshazzar was having this party, the enemies diverted the water of the river enough that it went down and their soldiers went under the gate where the river entered the city. And while all of the military was drunk, all of the leaders were drunk, they defeated and killed Belshazzar. Listen to this interesting passage. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and concubines, might drink therein. These golden cups that Belshazzar was going to drink out of, these were the cups that were dedicated from the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon had built. These were the temples that were dedicated to the Lord. And they were drinking alcohol in a drunk party. And God was very angry. And remember, he had the angel's hand right on the wall. And it said, you have been weighed in the balances 
and found wanting. And Daniel told Belshazzar, this night you will die. And indeed he did. Let's look at one more example. This is from the book of Habakkuk. And this is actually describing the characteristics of an alcoholic drunkard. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 5. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is proud man, neither keeps at home, who enlarges his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Do you see the characteristics that this verse is teaching us? An alcoholic is transgressed. He's offended by the wine and alcohol he drinks. He's a proud man. Many people that get drunk, they stand up and they're talking in their pride. And they're speaking foolishness often. And it says he neither keeps at home. Many people that go out that are alcoholics, they go to bars and nightclubs. And they go play cards and poker. And they're always with other people who are partying and drinking. They do not keep at home. And it says, who enlarges his desire as hell. See, hell is never full of souls. Hell always wants another soul and another soul. And that's a picture of the drunkard. He's never satisfied with the last drink. He wants another drink and another drink until he passes out. Second point today, alcohol promises pleasure, but provides a deadly sting. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Do you ever see those wine commercials on television and they pour the wine into the cup and it looks oh so beautiful? And you stir, you shake the cup, and it looks so pretty in its hues of purple and red or white, pink, whatever the color is. And then they show a beautiful lady smelling the cup. You know, the, the sin is enticing. But the Bible says, look not upon the wine when it is red, when it gives this color in the cup. Because that's when it's attracting you. That's when it's tempting you to drink. Don't go there. Psalms 101, verse 2 and 3. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. This is a prescription on how not to be caught in the trappings of alcohol. You need to behave yourself wisely under the admonition of God in a perfect way. And it says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Many people, they go to the package store to buy their alcohol and they hide it in their house. And then they come home from work and they drink and they drink and they drink and they fall asleep. God says, you need to walk within your house with a perfect heart. Just don't have the alcohol in your house. Romans 13, 14. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. 
When we have a desire to drink alcohol and to get drunk, that's making provision for the flesh. And the Bible says, put on the Christ, put on the mind of Christ, walk in the spirit, and then you will not fall into that sin. Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17, develop that idea a little further. It says, Paul speaking, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You see, the Holy Spirit is always fighting. It's at enmity with darkness and sin. They're always in a battle. And we need to walk in the Spirit to successfully fight and defeat these lusts of the flesh. James chapter 1, verse 14 through 16 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. See, this does away with the people that say alcoholism is a disease. God is saying, no, it's not a disease. It's the sin of your heart. It's a lust of the flesh. Then every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. He says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't allow that temptation to grab you and to entice you and to snare you unto death. God has given us a way to escape. If you remember, we went over temptation several months ago. There has no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow us to suffer above that we are able, but will with each temptation give us, provide us a way to escape. And sometimes it's just as simple as saying, no, I'm not going to do that sin. Proverbs 23, verse 32. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. An adder is a poisonous snake. And in the spirit world, this is what alcoholism will do. Do you know drunkards cannot go to heaven? And in the spirit world, drunkards are sending their soul into hell. Let's look at some of these verses. Satan is a liar from the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he shows his true colors. He is the serpent. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, this is Satan speaking to Eve, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You see, he already twisted in the first time he's speaking God's word. That twisting of the word, that temptation, many times is from Satan. And one of his greatest tools to send souls into hell is alcohol. Numbers 21 verse 9. Now God was angry at the nation of Israel and he sent serpents into the camp. And they were biting people. When that person was bitten, they would die. 
So God said to Moses, if you take a stick and put a serpent on top of that, anybody who's bitten, if they look at that rod with that serpent on the top, they will be healed. Let's look at Numbers 21.9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now this serpent on the brass stick is a picture of Christ on the cross. And if we look to Jesus, just as those Israelites were healed of their serpent bite, we are healed of the devil's bite in the spirit world. And it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. And then it goes on to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God lifted up Jesus on the cross, and the picture was Moses lifting up the serpent on the rod. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous are not going to heaven. Now, God has a list of people who do not go to heaven. Let's listen to these. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see in this list, God puts drunkards. Drunkards will not go into heaven. Now that doesn't mean if you got drunk a few times in your life. That doesn't make you a drunkard. A drunkard is somebody who has a lifestyle of getting drunk. That's the difference. The same thing with adulterers. If you committed adultery, that doesn't mean you're going to hell. But if you're living a lifestyle of adultery, you will go to hell. See the difference? God forgives all sin. But if you're continuing to raise your fist in defiance and in rebellion and saying, I'm going to live this lifestyle of sin, God says, well, then you cannot go into heaven. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. This is very clear. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk. Isn't this about as clear of a verse as you can read from the Bible? Be not drunk with wine. That's a command. 2 Peter chapter 2, 19. While they promise them liberty... They themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. Do you know people that start to drink? Many of those people become alcoholics, and alcoholics are addicted to alcohol. I read this statistic from Alcoholics Anonymous, that for everybody who takes their first drink of liquor be it wine, beer, or hard drink. One out of every nine people 
becomes an alcoholic. That's playing Russian roulette with your heart and your mind. You don't die right away from getting drunk. But many people become addicted and they die from cirrhosis of the liver. I was riding home last night from Danville. I beat the storm. And I was down at the Green Rock Jail. We had a Saturday night service. So I was kind of interested to see what the forecast would be with all the snow, and it was just kind of slush all the way back to Lynchburg. But while I was driving back, it's about a one-hour drive, I was listening to a radio station, and it wasn't a Christian station. It was a secular station. But they were interviewing a lady who wrote a book. She's 41 years old, and she started drinking alcohol when she was 14. And she became an alcoholic. And she related all of these stories during that one-hour period of how she was in college and how she could hide it. She said even when she was taking her driver's ed test, she convinced the driver's ed teacher to go to the mall so she could run in and bring alcohol back and hide it from him. She used everybody in the system. Now, she learned this sin from her father, who was an alcoholic. And he went to his deathbed. And she related how he had a very high-paying job, and he lost his money, his job, his income, because of his alcoholism. And he died of cirrhosis of the liver. And she was explaining how this is a terrible disease, how his body became discolored, and it was overblown with water gain, and his body became bruised all over. And over the course of a month, he passed. And she said she would go visit him during the day, and as soon as she finished visiting him, she would go buy two six-packs and drink them at nighttime and fall asleep. So she saw her dad die. Now, she didn't indicate she was a Christian at all during this radio interview. And it's amazing how people can overcome sin like that and not be a Christian. Thank God she did, and perhaps she will be saved someday. But she was relating the torments in her life of living under an alcoholic father and then herself being under that sin of alcoholism. But praise God, she's free at the age of 41. Let's look at the top of page four. The third point today, alcohol leads to immorality and perversity. Proverbs 23, verse 33. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. A strange woman is somebody that's in rebellion against God. God made women just like he made men to bring glory to his kingdom. Many women are blessed when they marry a man and start a family and are under the authority of God and under the authority of their husband. And they become a helpmeet to their man just like Eve was a helpmeet to Adam. And God greatly blesses that. The book of Proverbs also speaks of the strange woman. Here we're going to learn a little bit about what this strange woman is all about. She is evil. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 3 through 5. For the lips of a strange woman drop as honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet 
go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Is that a vivid description of a strange woman? A woman who's in rebellion against God? These women snare men. And men that follow these women, it says she's leading them into hell. That's very strong language. And yet, we just read that all fornicators and all adulterers go to hell. This verse is just explaining it from a different perspective. Let's look at Proverbs 23, verse 27 and 28. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lies in wait as for prey, and increases the transgressors among men. Do you see this verse says she's laying in wait like a hunter, waiting for the kill to claim somebody? And a whore is a prostitute. Do you ever notice the Bible is very clear? It doesn't mince words. And this verse is very clear. These women that are out for men, that are strange women, that are not being godly, they are looking for men as for a prey. And it says they increase the transgressors among men. A transgressor is somebody who breaks God's law. Somebody that commits adultery, that's a transgressor. This lady who's defined as the whore, she's increasing the transgressions because she's leading men into sin. Let's look at the next verse. This is from the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 11. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. So God is connecting whoredom with wine. Do you know many times people that go to bars, for example, to pick up a woman, they go to the bar to drink. I remember when I was working one summer in construction, I guess I was maybe 20 years old, and this is right after Vietnam, so you could still drink alcohol at the age of 18 in the state of Wisconsin. And we got paid on Friday. And I remember the guy said, hey, come on, we're gonna go get some dinner. They went into a bar that served like hamburgers. When they told me how much the pitcher of beer was, I'm, I guess I'm just a cheap guy, but I didn't want to spend my money on that alcohol. So I said, give me a Coke. But then the music is playing and they're smoking their cigarettes and then the women start coming into the bar and there was one guy that I worked with, I knew he was married and he was talking to a woman that wasn't his wife. And then on Monday, I found out that some of those men spent half of their paycheck that night. Now, I was making $5 an hour. This is back a long time ago, and that was hard work, because we were working in the sun, and we would work from sun up until sundown. And sometimes we would work 60 hours or more a week. So that money was precious to me, and it was paying my tuition at college. That's how I paid for my college. And when I found out that those men were wasting their money, it was very disappointing. But do you see what it says here? Whoredom and wine, they take away the heart. These men that were in that bar, how could their heart be with their wife? How could their heart be with their family when they're spending their money on something 
that's as fleeting, you know, a one-time good night, whatever you want to call it. They thought it was fun, but it was sin. At the end of that story was sadness and woe. Let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. So here, we're learning that wine takes away your heart. It's no longer subservient to God. It's no longer honoring God. Well, what fills its place? This verse says, out of the heart proceed murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. When our heart isn't serving the Lord, it's serving our flesh. When it's serving our flesh, we're walking in sin. Here's another list, a partial list of the sins of our heart. Romans 13, verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. So God is saying, walk honestly with me, like in the daylight. See, outside it's a beautiful, bright, sunshiny day today. And this bright sunshine is a picture of the Holy Spirit. God is light. And when God is strong in our life, the light of his Holy Spirit guides us. And Romans 13, 13 says, don't walk as in the night. The night is dark. In rioting and drunkenness. That's when people get drunk at nighttime. And it says, not in chambering. A chamber is where you sleep. And see, men that pick up these women, they go to their apartments or their condos or their houses or whatever. And the Bible says don't do that. Don't go into chambering. Let's look at point number four. Alcohol is addictive and destroys the body and soul. Proverbs 23, verse 34. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lies down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lies upon the top of a mast. So here the picture being painted by Solomon is we're on a boat. Have you ever been on a smaller boat, not like a cruise ship, but a smaller boat that the waves can impact? Several years ago, I had gone fishing. I was invited to go on a kind of a small boat down off the seacoast here in Virginia, and the waves came up. They were like six, seven foot waves. It couldn't sink the boat, but it was rocking it. And I remember there was about five of us that were fishing. Three of the men got seasick. I mean, they were literally throwing up. I felt like I was going to throw up, but I didn't. And there was only one man who didn't. But that feeling of seasickness is terrible. This verse is saying, imagine he's lying down in the midst of the sea. Or even worse than that, he climbs up to the top of the mast. And imagine the sea tossing and you're up there swinging back and forth. Now this man is drunk. He would fall off in a couple of minutes, probably to his room, either to broken bones or overboard. That's the picture God is saying of a drunken man. Psalms 107 verse 26 and 27 explains further the physical qualities of this sea that's in a storm. They mount up to heaven. These are the waves. Imagine, sometimes the waves are 50 feet tall. 
They mount up to heaven and they go down again into the depths. The spiritual picture is their soul is melted because of the trouble. These sailors become afraid that they're going to die because of the waves going up and down. They reel to and fro and they stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. The person on that boat with those huge waves being crashed to and fro, up and down, many times they fear they're going to die and they're at their wit's end. Over here, the drunk, he has his self-induced waves. The more he drinks, the more tipsy he becomes and the more likely he's going to fall over and hurt himself. Proverbs 23, verse 2, speaking against drinking. Put a knife to your throat. If thou be a man, give it to appetite. Now this applies to too much food, but it also applies to drinking alcohol. If you're a man of appetite, and you know if you take the first drink, you're going to have the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth, the picture is put a knife to your throat. We physically wouldn't do that. But God is saying, take some drastic action here. Don't drink. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. People that drink alcohol and get drunk on a consistent basis in this lifestyle, they are carnally minded. Carnally minded people are at enmity, they're at war with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 6 verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit Reap life everlasting. The people that follow in that sin day after day after day, and it isn't just alcohol. If somebody were taking drugs, if somebody's smoking cigarettes, the wear and tear on the body catches up to you. And eventually, you will have a premature death because your body becomes worn out fighting all of these diseases and these narcotics, the poisons that are in your system. But the reverse, the flip side of that is, he that sows of the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting in heaven. Proverbs 23, verse 35. This is the man now speaking who is drunk. And he's talking about he has just gotten in a fight. And many times people that get in fights, they don't even know. They get knocked out and they don't know what happened to them. They wake up and they see their body has been hurt. Going back to Proverbs 23, 35, they have stricken me. That means they've hit me. Shall thou say, was I not sick? They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it again. This drunkard doesn't learn from his lesson. He's stricken. He's beaten up. And it says he feels it not because he's so drunk he can't feel the physical pain. And then when he wakes up, look what it says. I will seek it again. That's the definition of an addict. They cannot get out of their addiction. And alcoholics are addicted to alcohol. They will seek it again no matter how much they're hurt. That's why we read in the paper somebody that gets picked up for drunk driving they go to jail, they get out of jail, and then they're picked up again and again. And sometimes men are picked up 10, 12, 15 times getting caught driving drunk. 
Isaiah 5.11. This is another description of a drunkard. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till the wine inflame them. Do you see Isaiah saying, woe unto them? They get up in the morning. What's the first thing they want to do? Drink. And it says they continue until nighttime. That is an amazing lifestyle. Can you imagine drinking all day long? And it says, till the wine inflame them. In other words, until they burn up. They're burning up physically, and they're burning up their soul and their spirit. They're killing themselves. Luke 21, 34. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Luke is warning us in this verse. Take heed. Pay attention. Have some caution. Don't be too worried about the day-to-day -day life. We're all going to pass. And it says, don't spend your time in drunkenness. He warns us so that the day come upon you unaware. What day? The day when we're called to judgment. The day when we pass. The day when we step into eternity. When we have to give an account. We don't want to have 50, 60, 70, or 90 years of wasted time. The Bible says, Lord, teach me to number my days. I can't get back yesterday. It's gone. And none of us in this room can get yesterday back. We only have today and tomorrow until the Lord calls us home. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. Who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. People that get into these lifestyles of sin, they are past feeling. God gives them over to a reprobate mind. Reprobate means it doesn't work. It's broke. Their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. God is saying they're being past feeling. And they have given themselves over. That means they're 100% into their lifestyle of sin. Now we have an answer. Most of us in this room, we're Christians. But we know people that are caught up in the sin of alcoholism. I can see that on the impacts of people that I see, for example, at the Salvation Army. Or we see people on the street. They're under the influence of alcohol. They're sad to look upon. We have the answer. Let's look at these last two verses today. These are from the book of John. Chapter 8, verse 32 and 36. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, people that are alcoholics or drug addicts or porn addicts or adulterers or any of these lifestyles, they're a slave to their sin. The good news is that the Bible, the Word of God, the truth will make them free. We can help them be made free by sharing the word of God. Sharing why Jesus went to the cross to die for them as he died for us. And look at that last verse on the bottom of the page. If the Son therefore shall make you free, 
you shall be free indeed. Once these people are saved, they become a new creature in Christ. Behold, all the old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. They might still have a bad liver inside their body, but they're a new creature in Christ. And see, God can restore what the locusts have eaten of their wasted years. And they can still become productive for the kingdom of God. Last night, we had a baptism service at the Green Rock Jail. And I was very moved. There was about 120 men in the gym. And we just set up this tub and we filled it up with water. And the men were baptized in that little tub. But the music that these men were singing and the first song they sung, I had never heard it before. I went home and I looked it up on the internet. It's God is awesome in this place. What a beautiful song. God is awesome in jail. And listening to some of those men, their testimonies are awesome. And the Holy Spirit is awesome. And there was one man there, his name was Chris. Sometimes I look at these men and I'm wondering why they're in jail. Because they seem really godly men. And the way they can pray and sing and worship, they truly are Christians. And we will see these men in heaven one day. And see, they found out what the truth was. Somebody shared the gospel. Many of those men got saved in jail. And now they go to Saturday night or Sunday night service. The men are truly Christians. They can worship even our awesome God in that place, the jail. We need to share this gospel message. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful word of God that you have in the book of Proverbs and all of the verses that complement this verse and this passage. And Lord, we're looking forward to this week. It's Passion Week. We commemorate going to the cross. And traditionally, we commemorate that on Friday. And our church will be having your Lord's Supper on Thursday night where we examine our hearts and our minds. And Jesus, you proved you were God by raising from the dead on Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. God, we thank you for the power you have over sin and death. And Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you were obedient. And Holy Spirit, that you're even with us today. Holy Spirit, that we do not quench you with our sin, but rather we walk in your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us opportunities this week to minister to somebody who's in need of salvation, that we can share the word. Perhaps we pray for their soul to come into the kingdom. And we ask all of these prayers in your name, Jesus, the name above all names. You're an awesome God, and we love you. Amen. And you are dismissed.